We are taking a break from the book of James, which hurts me because I love the book of James so much. And we are going to focus, uh, this is Advent season, Christmas time. So in the next few weeks, we are going to talk about, um, we are going to talk about who Jesus Christ is. And I will explain to you why I'm covering this topic as we go along the sermon. All right, here we go. <coughs> Sorry, I don't have corona. Here we go. <clears throat> Sorry, my throat is really dry. It's 11.30. I will. All right, how was your Thanksgiving? Um, my, I, I, I hope that you, you had a lovely Thanksgiving. And I, I had a lovely Thanksgiving. Thank you for asking, All right? because I know you care about me. Thank you for asking me how my Thanksgiving was. My Thanksgiving was wonderful because I, I think I told you guys, some of you this, but every year I celebrate Thanksgiving in one of my you know, childhood friends' house. For Ukrainians, it's one of my dunas, or dunatur. Right? We grew up together, our parents are best friends, so I had Thanksgiving with them. And it was a doozy of a Thanksgiving. They live in this really nice house in McLean. I think Michael Jordan wanted to buy a house in that neighborhood. It's that nice, right? It is perfectly decorated, right? Like, the turkey was big, right? And everything was just nicely decorated. I felt like I was in, like, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air Thanksgiving special, right? It's like, it's, it's that, like, fancy, right? And the people that I had dinner with, which is my dunas, my friends, and their husbands, and also their friends, right? We got together, and we had the most interesting of conversation. So everyone in that table that, that were invited to that dinner, they're all like really well-educated people. Everyone has a master's degree. Like the, the bare minimum is a master's degree, right? They're surgeons, they're director of the World Bank, professors of George Mason University, right? Really, kumbaya kind of people, right? Kumbaya kind of people, right? You know, and then, and we had the most interesting of conversations among the most nicely decorated house. We talk about adult stuff, like, you know, uh, what do we talk about? The nuclear energy, right? We talk about the structure of classical music, right? We talk about, what else do we talk about? We talked about hospital playlists. Netflix, anyone? We talked about that, right? We talked about the most interesting conversation. We, it was a really good conversation over nice food and nice wine. Yes, I drank wine. I'm so sorry. Don't tell KM, I'll be fired, right? It was an ideal Thanksgiving in a very nice house over very interesting people. But the reason I'm telling you this Thanksgiving, this my Thanksgiving story, is what made that Thanksgiving very memorable is that, yes, it was sprinkled with, in with interesting conversation, but the center of the conversation was about Jesus Christ, the sovereignty of God, and the reality of his presence. Despite the interesting food and conversation, we had a deep conversation about Christ until one in the morning. And when we were talking, all of us felt our spirits coming alive. 
we wanted to have worship on that Sunday, on, on, on the Thanksgiving night, 1, 1 a.m. in the morning. Because the presence of God was palpable in that room. What made the Thanksgiving awesome is not the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air Thanksgiving special, but it is simply talking about Jesus Christ and having that knowledge of Christ warming our hearts. It's true. You can ask my wife as she comes in for coffee today. It's true. My friends were so touched, they called me yesterday, a couple of days ago, and said, can you come back and tell us more about Christ? When our minds get hold of the reality and the bigness of Jesus Christ, your hearts will naturally be filled with joy. That's what Psalm 47 is about. Psalm 47, the psalmist meditates upon the grandeur of God. And therefore, he cannot help but to sing praises to him. The reason I'm covering Jesus Christ over Christmas is because it's Christmas, but also I want you to have a bigger and grander idea of Jesus Christ so that you can celebrate this season in a more blessed way. Satan and the world did a, do a fantastic job of extracting Christ away from Christmas. Have you noticed that? You know what the word Christmas means, by the way? I never thought that I knew. I, I, when I was preparing for this, I asked, I asked myself that question, and honestly, I had no idea what Christmas meant. The word Christmas means, it means Christ, and then mass. You know what mass is? It's, it's, it's worship, Catholic worship. Christmas is mass, it's worshiping Christ. It's Christ and mass. The mass of Christ. The worship of Christ. That's what Christmas is. A season where you worship him. But the world and Satan does a fantastic job of diminishing and extracting Christ away from Christmas. How do I know? I, look, I listen to Sirius Channel 105, Jolly. That's a Christmas music station that play 365 days a year. So I was listening to that, to that station the other day, and last Christmas the song came out. Last Christmas, I gave you my heart, but the very next day, you gave it away. I go, what in the world? The word Christmas is there, but the song was about this girl breaking that dude's heart and him whining about it. What in the world? As I was listening to that channel on my way to work, how many of those Christmas songs actually is about Christ? Even songs with the name of Christmas in it, how many of those songs are about Christ? Nada, El Zippo, as the Spanish people would say. El Zippo. Is that Spanish, by the way? Heather will correct me after. What is the Christmas season about, y'all? What is this Christmas season about? My, as my daughter would say, it's about Jesus' birthday and getting gifts. Really? It's about getting gifts, daughter? 
parents to parents. It's about, Christmas is about giving, with, giving joy to their children, right? Christmas is primarily about giving joy to their children, about giving them gifts. Hollywood Christmas is about romance. Well, I don't know why Christmas is about romance, but it's about romance. How do I know? How many Christmas movies are out there right now in the Hallmark Channel? Like 80? God bless them, right? Sophisticated people of the world says Christmas is about family. It's about families getting together and, and celebrating unity. Really? Christmas is about, is about your family? Is that what Christmas is about? You notice that all of us are Christians. And yet, if you are honest with yourselves, you have a more worldly definition of Christmas. You have a more worldly view of Christmas than actually worshiping Christ the King. Even the world, okay, even the world who says Christmas is about Jesus kind of relegate Jesus in the Christmas season only as an infant Jesus. Christmas is about baby Jesus, as Ricky Bobby would say. Christmas is about baby Jesus. How do I know? My wife bought, my wife bought a snow globe as a Christmas ornament. That snow globe was about baby Jesus in a manger. I go, I almost got mad. It's true. Christmas, Jesus was born on a manger. But the problem with only relegating Jesus as being a baby born in the manger is it's as if Jesus is helpless. Jesus, is, Jesus can't do you any harm because he's a little baby. Jesus is not only a baby. If your idea of Christmas is about baby Jesus, you're wrong. Jesus is not only, not just didn't stay a baby. Jesus is the king. Jesus is not a helpless baby. He's the king of the world, man. He's the king of the universe. Recognizing him as the king of the universe, that's how you celebrate Christmas. By recognizing him as the king of the universe. I have to pace myself unless I get burned out. Let's see what the Bible has to say about Jesus the King. Not yet, Joe. Revelations verse chapter, chapter 1, verse 5. Jesus is, according to Revelation chapter 1, he is the King of kings. He is the, he's, he's the king. He's the ruler of all the kings of the earth. He is given the title King of kings, the Lord of lords, twice in Scripture. In Revelations, he is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is El Emperor. He is the sovereign, mighty El Shaddai. He rules every square molecular inch of existence, including your short time in this world. He is king. He's grand. He's grander than grand. He's awesomer than awesome. He is powerful than the most powerful being that we can possibly imagine. He is involved, intricately involved in every facet of reality. And he rules every square inch of it. Is that Jesus to you?
Is Jesus Christ that big in your, in your life? As I was preparing for the sermon on Friday night at 12 a.m., I was geeking out about Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. Now's the time, Joe. Hit it, Joe. Is he hitting it? Yes. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15, 16, 17, 18, Paul describes who Jesus is. And at 12.30 a.m. on a Friday, I was geeking out. Let's see what Paul says about who Jesus is. He is Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. God is invisible. God is spirit. He is invisible. Then how do people like you and me know who he is? It is through Jesus Christ. God himself entered into our time and space. And the prophets and the apostles wrote about him. Jesus was a physical man in this world. That's what we celebrate Christmas before. And the reason why he came into this world as a man is so that we human beings can know who he is. How do you know who God is? Look at the man, Jesus Christ. That's what Paul means. The Jesus Christ who lived on the walked this earth for 33 years, 2,000 years ago, he is, the, he is the visible representation of who God is. Do you know who the Almighty God is, what the Almighty God is like? Paul says, look at Jesus Christ. How do you know what Jesus Christ looks like? Look at the scripture, what is written about him. Jesus Christ is God. That's what Paul is saying here. I think a lot of us don't know who God looks like because we're unfamiliar with what Jesus looks like according to Scripture. Many of us, I'm not saying that many of us, many Christians out there, their idea of Jesus is like a cocktail of Sunday school lessons a long time ago, a little bit of experience that you've gained in, in, in your Christian walk, plus Bad, Christ, bad Christian stories that the other pastors told you about. It's like a cocktail of early childhood Sunday school meshed with experience, meshed with like pastor stories. And we think we have an idea of who God, based upon our imagination, Paul is saying, no, the God that you have in your imagination, that's wrong. That's not who God is. Who God really is, is Jesus Christ as revealed in Scripture. The Almighty God is Jesus Christ, who is revealed in Scripture. If you're ignorant of, God, of Jesus Christ according to Scripture, then you are ignorant of God. That's what Paul is saying. Do you know the Christ of Scripture? He is God. Not only that, he is the firstborn of all creation. That's what Paul is saying. Firstborn of all creation, he does, it doesn't mean Jesus Christ was created. He means Jesus Christ is the most supreme. He rules over all creation. Jesus Christ rules over the birds, rules over the fishes. He's like Aquaman and Hawkman. He, he, he rules over all creation. That's what it means for Jesus Christ to be firstborn of all creation. He is supreme. This verse geeked me out. Next, what's the next verse? Verse 16. 
for by him all things were created, but for, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers, rulers or authorities. All things were, have been created through him and for him. That's very interesting. Paul says all things were created by Jesus Christ for Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means everything that has ever been created, including the kings and the rulers and the powerful people of the world, have been created by Jesus Christ. Everything that you see before you, everything that you feel and touch and smell and, and, and see and hear, has been our creatures, our created things. And the author of that creation is Jesus Christ. He is, everything was not only created by him, everything was created for him. I kicked that out of this part. You know, I had to like write the sermon, but I was so geeking out, I couldn't write. Because I was like, so blessed. What does it mean for things were created not only by him, but for him. The purpose of everything that is created, including you, me, and everything else, the purpose of creation is to glorify Jesus Christ. Everything. Right? This is what John Piper says. Nothing, nothing in the universe exists for its own sake. Everything from the bottom of the ocean to the top of the mountains, from the smallest particle to the biggest star, from the most boring school subject to the most fascinating science, from the ugliest cockroach to the most beautiful human, from the greatest saint to the most wicked genocidal dictator, everything that exists exists to make the greatness of Christ more fully known, including you and the person you have the hardest time loving. Everything exists to reveal the greatness of Jesus Christ. Things do not exist for your happiness. Things exist for the glory, to, to, to magnify the glory and the majesty and the power of Jesus Christ. Real life example. Yesterday, I went to Georgetown because I'm such a good husband. I was sleepy. I was tired. But my wife said, I want to go to Georgetown. I go, let's go, baby. Let's go to Georgetown. I went to Georgetown. And my daughter wanted Georgetown cupcakes. I almost curse right now because I'm so bitter about the cupcake, right? I waited 45 minutes for that cupcake because they're allowing only one people, to, one people to, per customer. And the lady that went in right before me, she had the audacity to order two cafe lattes. I was waiting for 40 minutes, and she had the gall of waiting cafe latte. I say, go visit Joe at Blue Bottle. What are you getting cafe lattes here for? Blue Bottle is literally across the street. I got so mad. Why? But why did I wait for 45 minutes for that cupcake? Because my daughter wanted it. Because I'm a giver. So I bought that darn cupcake. Bitter about it, too. But I ate the darn cupcake. Glory. Wow. Maybe because I was thinking about the sermon. 
I praise God for that cupcake. The magnificent beauty of that cupcake. It exists so that I can praise God for it. Life is not about us. It's about the revelation of the glory and the beauty and the majesty of Jesus Christ. Everything was created by Jesus Christ for Jesus Christ. He's supreme. He is God. He rules over all. Do you want to properly celebrate Thanksgiving Christmas? I urge you to meditate upon Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 18. Memorize it, play over it, think about it, let it marinate in your life. I promise you, you're going to geek out like I did. That's the majesty of Jesus Christ. But then we come to chapter 2 of Psalm. I have time. What is chapter two, Psalm, what is Psalm chapter two about? It's about the nations, specifically the rulers of the kingdoms of, of men, who want to rebel against King Jesus. Verse one. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Why do the people of the world get together? And think about rebelling against God. That's what it means. Psalm chapter 1, it says, Blessed is the man who meditates upon the law of the Lord. The righteous man, the wise man, the smart man, thinks about the law of God. He wants to meditate upon the law of God. He wants to meditate upon pleasing God and obeying God. In contrast, the wicked man in Psalm chapter 2, rather than meditating about the law of God, he meditates upon how to rebel against God. He doesn't want to submit to God. Verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers, of, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Not only are people plotting to rebel against God, the rulers get together and want to rebel against God. How do the rulers want to rebel against God? Verse 3, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The people and the rulers of the world are saying they want to rebel against God because they find God burdensome. They find his laws heavy, like a chain around their, like a cord around their necks. The law of God is suffocating them. That's why they want to rebel against God. Reality check here. Human beings, by their nature, want to rebel against God. They don't like his law. Even Christians like the idea of a loving God, of a God who understands you, of a God who's on your side, they don't like to hear about a God who demands obedience from you. Right? How do I know? 
in the YouTube universe, there are people who are cursing against my heroes, like, like John MacArthur and, and you know, Mark Dever and Alistair Begg and all these people. These people, are, these men are godly Christian biblical men. But there's a YouTube channel by other Christians condemning these pastors because these pastors say God demands obedience from you. And these crazy YouTubers are saying they're preaching legalism. My God doesn't demand anything from us. He just wants us to believe in him, and that is all. And if you say God demands obedience from you, then you are a heretic. Christians, a lot of Christians, they like the idea of the loving Jesus, but they don't like the idea of King Jesus. Guys, our king has kingdom law made this universe in such a way where laws exist. Do you know this? Jesus Christ, when he made existence, when he made a human soul, he didn't design it randomly. The universe it operates with the laws of physics, the, 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 the laws of ethics, the laws of logic, the laws of mathematics. The law of quantum physics. The universe is made by law. It's comprised of law. That is why science is possible. Because the universe is knowable. It's knowable because it's comprised of laws. The human heart is also comprised of laws. When he designed a human being, he didn't design them randomly. He designed them for a purpose. The purpose is to conform to his law. What are his laws? Fear God. Worship him. Love your neighbors as yourself. Be sexually pure. Be forgiving. Be merciful. Be gracious. Respect the property and the boundaries of other people. Hold human beings the highest regard. Human beings don't like this law. They love the idea of Jesus being your best friend. They hate the idea of when Jesus demands obedience from you. Do you know your king demands obedience from you? Like we said in the prayer of confession, if your view of Jesus is more as a consultant, that you go to seek his counsel from time to time when you're in a rough spot, but if you're not interested in obeying him at all, then I'm afraid, according to Tim Keller, not me, hey Tim Keller, not me, according to Tim Keller, Jesus Christ is not your king, he's a consultant. If Jesus Christ, if you think Jesus Christ solely exists to make your life easy and pleasant in this world, that Jesus Christ is not your king, he is your sugar daddy. That's mine, not Tim Keller's. Is he a consultant? Is he a sugar daddy? Is he your counselor? Is he your therapist? Is he your daddy? Or is he your king? Jesus Christ provides for you. He is your friend. He is your counselor. He certainly is mine. But primarily, he's king. The rulers of the world don't like this law of God. They don't. Let's be real. We don't have kings anymore. 
but we still have rulers of the world. Right? We do. Even though we may, have, we may not have visible kings and queens and rulers, there are still leaders of the world who rule the world. Academics, media houses, corporations, social media. These people rule the world. How do you know? Because I find it fascinating that all the liberals of the world, whether it's a liberal in Korea or liberal in America or liberal in Spain or, or, or France, they all think the same way. So do the conservative. If you look at the conservative talking point of the Republican Party, it's the same conservative talking point in Korea, in Japan, in England, everywhere. People's ideologies are not that different. They're very similar. Why? Because everyone is listening to the same message. The things that you and I strive for, material things, right? The nice house in the burbs or whatever. It's a message that the world craftily catered and delivered and sold it to you. This is what your life is about, consumerism. Strive for consumerism. And we go, yes, master, and we follow that. Let's not kid ourselves. There are rulers that rule the world. There are thoughts that rule the world. We are not independent thinkers. We're followers. And the rulers of this age, the media types, the, 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 the academics, the business types, they hate the law of God. If you say God created man and female, that's what I'm, talk, that's, that's what, what I'm teaching my daughter. If, God, if you think God has created a human being, a male and female, that's hate speech according to the rulers of this age. If you think sexual, if you think marriage, sex is primarily, should be conducted in a committed marital relationship, heterosexual relationship, if someone records me and sends this video to, to, my, to my firm, I'll get called at HR. It's hate speech. The things that we let our kids listen to and see and watch, they're all dominated and ruled by the rulers of the world who hate the law of God. The people hate the law of God. The rulers hate the law of God. The world is progressing in a trend that is hating the law of God. How does God react? Does he go, oh no, human beings, they're plotting against me. What am I going to do? Does he go, oh no, they're a threat. Is that how the psalmist sees it? Verse 4. He's who, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The rulers of this age, the Harvard PhDs, the billionaires, the entertainment mongols, the movie stars, J.K. Rowling, they all have the grandiest vision of the world is, and they all want to steer the world in the direction where they want to steer to, and God looks at them, and God laughs at them. Why? Because God knows they're just morning mists. They're here for a while, and they go away. 
no matter what human beings try to do, they cannot outdo God's created order and law. They can't. No matter how creative and genius the rulers of the world, no matter how creative and genius you think you are, you cannot outdo God's God's way that God designed reality to be. Everything was created for Christ, by Christ. Christ laughs at his enemies. Reality check here. Who is your king? Is your king the true king? Or is your king the king that God laughs at? Because they're powerless. Which thought dominates your mind? Is it the thought of the king, the true king? Or is it the thought of a a false king that the real king laughs at? What determines your values? Is it the value of the true king? Or the values of a false king that the true king laughs at? Who's your king? Even if we say we're the king of our own destiny and I'm going to live the way that I want to live, you know what happens to you at the end? You get messed up. Going against the rule of God, it messes you up. It destroys you. The best example that I can think of is Nietzsche, Frederick Nietzsche. Frederick Nietzsche is the nihilist philosopher who says, God is dead, he says. God is dead. Human beings have the power to, they don't need God to make morality. Human beings can make morality on their own. They don't need God. We don't need religion. We don't need the Bible. Human beings, by our reason, can make our own right and wrong. You know how Frederick Nietzsche died at the end of his life? He suffered from syphilis. He died a raving lunatic. People who say they can live their lives apart from God. I think that's a similar destiny. We just end up destroying ourselves. Best example that, one of the biggest examples I give you. Look, I'm glad the kids aren't here. Let's, let's have adult talk, shall we? This is, what, this is the trend that I'm noticing. People, when they're dating, who, 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 who disobey God about having sex with one another, and they do have sex while they're dating, and even if those people end up marrying together, being married, that mentality that's so, you know, coarse, coarsely disregarded the law of God, and, not, and haven't repented for that, when they do get married, that same attitude that disobeyed the law of God it comes out in their marriage, that attitude. And their marriage starts to suffer. Because that attitude that says, I'm not going to obey God regarding my sexuality, that attitude carries over to your marriage life, and your marriage starts to suffer. I see it over and over and over again. Just because you had sex before marriage and you know, and you marry the person that you have sex with, it doesn't make it okay. That attitude comes with you, and you end up destroying your marriage. I see it over and over and over again. People who say, I'm my own destiny, and I'm going to go my own way, they end up destroying themselves. You can think you're your own God, but God, by his mercy, will laugh at you. 
Because you're not the king of the universe. It's God. Can I finish in two minutes? I shall try. Not only the king laughs at the, the true king laughs at the king, but God says, I will tell of the decree. Verse 7, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possessions. God the Father said to Jesus, I have anointed you as my king, and the world will belong to you. The, Jesus Christ, as the anointed son, he's going to destroy all of God's enemies. And this world will belong to Christ. The world does not belong to the academics, to the Jeff Bezos of the world, to the, to the thought leaders of the world. They will all perish. What will rule, what will dominate is the rule and the truth of Jesus Christ. Because he is a true king. I want you to have a huge, a grande understanding, a venti understanding of Jesus Christ. Do you have the venti understanding of Jesus? Do you have a grand understanding of Jesus Christ? Is he your king? What is a proper response for Jesus to be our king? I'm cutting a lot, by the way. You just thank me. I'm editing as I go, right? Verse 12. The psalmist says, kiss the son. O kings, be wise and kiss the son. He's saying, kings, be wise. Rulers, be wise. People, be wise. Don't think of yourselves as the king. Come and kiss the hand of the son of God. What does it mean to kiss the hand of a ruler? You know what it means? To kiss the hand of a ruler? I remember Dune, right? Duncan Idaho. Remember Duncan Idaho? When he, Paul Atreides becomes Lord, I'm, I'm geeking out, it's a conversation between me and Sean. When, 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 when Paul Atreides becomes the Lord House of Atre, Atreides, Duncan Idaho kisses Paul's hand. What does that mean when you kiss the king's hand? It means king. The person that you're kissing the hand, you're recognizing that that person is your king. And that you are, you are going to lovingly devote yourself to his rule. That's what it means to kiss the hand of the king. When you kiss his hand, you're saying, you are my king. And I will love you. And I will devote myself to you. And I will submit to you. Because you're my king. That's what it means. You are called to kiss the hand of the true king, Jesus Christ. Forget following the false king. Kiss the true king. What does it mean? To, what does it practically mean to kiss the hand of Jesus Christ? Number one, recognize that he's your king. Number two, obey the king. If Jesus Christ is your king, you're called to obey him. You're, when people wrong you, you're called to forgive that person. You're called to be sexually pure. You're called to live in mercy. You're called not to envy. You're called to live differently. I know you will fail and I will fail. Right? This, is what, this is what Tim Keller says. Being obedient doesn't mean perfect, right? Being obedient doesn't mean perfect. 
but being obedient means striving to obey. There's a difference between a Christian when someone hurts them. There's a difference between a person who strives to forgive this person by going to the Lord always and a person who says, that person doesn't deserve my forgiveness because that person's a jerk. There's a difference between a person who strives to forgive and a person who gives up on people. Being obedient means strive to obey the king. Know that Jesus Christ is your king. Obey the king. Submit to the king. Submit to the king means this. Understand that where you are in life, God has placed you there. Whether good or bad, happy or, happy or sad, God has placed you in the particular predicament that you're in. Human beings are sent. Human beings are placed. We don't go where we want to go. We are placed where God wants us to, wants to place us. Submitting to God means understanding that God has placed you where you are. And wherever you are, he's called to submit. You are called to submit to him. The crummy job, the crummy spouse, the unruly children, family drama, everything. Christ has put you there so you will submit to him. Are you going to submit to him? Do you know where you are? Even if you're unemployed, you're unemployed because he placed you in unemployment. If you're single wanting to be married, he has placed you to be single. I want to get married. Why, God? Yeah, that's fine. But why? Before asking why, God, know that God has placed you being a single person. Submit to him there. Christians don't say, oh, I want to go where I want to go. We don't do that. We go, yes, this is God's will, and I want to submit. Rely on the king. That's the fourth aspect of submitting to Christ. Rely on Jesus Christ every day. And fifth, submitting to the king means expect great things for the king. People, listen to me. Jesus Christ is not a dictator that says, you submit to me or else. I'm going to kill you. He's not that way. Christ wants us to submit to the true king because submitting to him, it is how our lives begin to flourish. The king that we're called to submit to is a generous, good king who gives life to his people. When you submit to Jesus Christ, I promise you, in the story of my life, that he will bring forth life from in you. You will see things that you have never seen before. Things will happen to you that you have never experienced. Expect these things to happen. You will experience his generosity. You will experience his comfort. You will experience his truth. You will experience his wisdom. You will experience his life when you submit to him. You submit to him because you know when you do, the king will be generous to you. Guys, our God is a God who's active and alive, and he favors those who submit to him. When you recognize him to be king and live in accordance to his will and law, guys, I promise you, amazing things happen to you. You need to expect greatness from our king. Christianity is, oh, I don't know whether God's going to bless me. No! Christianity is, God will bless me when I'm near him.
because he's a generous king. This holiday season, this Christmas season, pray that you will have a bigger understanding of the king so that your life will be filled with such life. Look, last night, I would counsel someone in the morning with the Jordan in the evening. Uh, in the afternoon, I was like writing sermon until 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and I, I was really, I felt my body shutting down. I was like shaking because I was so tired. Have you ever felt that way? I was shaking because I was so tired. I thought, oh, maybe, maybe I'm going to die. Maybe I have COVID. But this morning, I got up and I thought about the king. Oh, my heart was filled with life. That's how you celebrate Christmas. Having a huge idea of the king. Meditate Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 18. Memorize it. Pray about it. And ask God to fill your mind with the greatness of Jesus Christ. So that this Christmas season, you will have much life and joy. Let us pray. Father, you are our true king. You are that you, that you created existence the way it is. And there are laws that govern the universe.